Afternoon, my name's John T. Uh, any, any of those who don't know who I am, uh, please keep that passage open in front of you. That would be a great help. And we're going to think together about that. Before we do, let me just um, emphasize what Sam was saying about that week of prayer. It's going to be a really exciting week. Uh, prayer is so essential for us as a church. If we don't pray, then we're wasting our time. Because unless God helps us, we're wasting our time. So that's a week when really we're setting aside time as a church to say, Lord, help us. We're going to pray big things. We're going to pray for our world. We're going to pray for our church. And we have to pray because we're weak and he's strong. So we'd love you to to take that very seriously, to think about that and to get together. And look, we're spread all over the place, but we could text each other. We can pray and say, hey, I'm praying. How's it going? All that kind of, you know, you can work it out. But uh, make the most of that that week. Um, There are five things as a church um, that we're praying that God would be doing among us as a church. Uh, They all begin with G. And we have five Sundays where we're thinking about them. Uh, We've had two already. I haven't mentioned them yet. So uh, you'll have to have your brain switched on to remember where we've been if you've been around. Here are the five G's that we're praying as a church God will be doing. We want to be a church that is glorifying God. Okay? That was the first week, two weeks ago. It's a church... God is building his church. Church is what God is doing. It's for his glory. It's for, to, to bring him praise. We want to be a church that glorifies God. We're serious about him. He's the center. He's everything, right? But we want to be a church that is gathering. We were thinking last week about the importance of belonging, about being a part of the church, saying, I belong, I commit, I entrust, all of those kind of things. We're a church that wants to be serious about gathering together. We want to be a church that is... I'll tell you in a minute, because this week's. Next week, we want to be a church that is giving. Not just money, but giving ourselves, giving of our gifts that we have. We're going to think about that next week. And lastly, we want to be a church that goes. A church that's going out to, to make Jesus' name. Those are the five Gs. The G in the middle, the G that we're going to be talking about today, is grow. We want to be a church that's growing. Um... So this afternoon, I want, to, I want to encourage you and teach you a prayer that I want you to pray. And as you leave this afternoon, and perhaps every morning this week, here is something you could wake up every day and pray. It's simple, right? It's not going to take you, it's not much to remember. It's this. Heavenly Father, please make me grow. That's it. Heavenly Father, Please make me grow. That's what I want to try and show you this afternoon. It will be a terrific thing to be praying. My absolute hero when I was a child was Peter Pan. Which is a little bit sad because he's not even real. (laughs) But I really did love Peter Pan. And you'll you'll know if you know anything about Peter Pan, there's one thing about Peter Pan for which he's famous. And that is that he did not grow up until Robin Williams came along and made a film called Hook about a grown-up Peter Pan. But anyway, never mind. That ruined my childhood. But never mind. Um, And I used to think, and I remember saying to my mum, Mum, I never want to grow up. I don't want to grow up. And I want to challenge, I want to be, let God's word challenge us this afternoon, that we would not be Peter Pan Christians. I reckon too many of us settle into a sort of 
Peter Pan type mentality with, uh, as a Christian, where we basically say, look, I believe in Jesus, I know enough about him, but that's okay. And we settle rather than really wanting to grow. So have a look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. And this is, this is where we're really going to be basing our time this afternoon, just in this passage. This is what Peter writes to this church. It's a, it's a very new church. And he says to them, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted... That the Lord is good. Peter says, don't stay babies. Grow up. Grow up into this salvation. It's terrific that you've started to follow Jesus. It's terrific that you know about him. It's wonderful that you're excited about him. But it's not enough. We need to be passionate about growing. Growing up. Not being Peter Pan. And particularly verse 3, if you've tasted, it was interesting, Phil read from Psalm 34, didn't he? Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you've tasted anything of what Jesus is like, then don't be satisfied with that. But grow. I mean, one of, one of the great things to do in London is to go to Borough Market and uh, go around and taste food. Because they all offer tastes. And if you go around enough times, you can get like a full meal. (laughs) But the point of them offering you a taste is not that you go away going, oh, that was, thanks, I'm really full, that was very satisfying. The whole point of a taste at Borough Market is that it makes you say, I want want more. That's not enough. I'm not satisfied. That's, That's left me wanting more. That's the point of a taste. And if we have tasted that the Lord is good then there should be a hunger in us for more, to grow. That we might grow up in him. And that's why we've made that one of our central principles as a church. We are committed to growing up. Not to remaining newborn babies. Now, of course, the question is, um, what does that mean? How does that work? So I'm going to show here's three things from this passage, okay? We're going to look at the markers of growth. How do you know if you're growing or not? Then we're going to look at the grounds of growth. What's it all based on? And then we're going to think about the means of growth. How does, how does growth happen? So what is growth? Where does it start? And how does it happen? So come back with me to the, um, to the start of our passage, verse 13. And let's face it, it's... It's pretty obvious, isn't it, that as, as we grow older, there are various markers at which, which are significant in growing up. So, you know, your first steps. It's like a very significant moment. When you first, your mum and dad or whoever let go of your hands and you stumble forward and smacked your face on the ground and your parents are like, yay, he walked. <laughs> she walks. And it's hilarious. Parents get so competitive about what age their child takes their first step. My, my child's walking. <laughs> They're only eight months old. It's like, yeah, but they're all going to get there, aren't they? You know, it doesn't really matter. And yet it's a significant first step. It's a marker. I wonder what other 
markers there are, significant moments. You've probably got some in your mind, things that other people would think are crazy, but things that were significant to you in growing up. I remember when, my, this was a big thing for me, when my dad took my stabilizers off my bike. That was a big moment for me. It was a disastrous moment, actually, because, you know, what, you know stabilizers, right? The things that you have on either side of the wheel. Basically, the way stabilizers work is you're riding your bike and you just flop from side to side, right? Cycling down the road. It doesn't help you learn. It just kind of you flop side to side. My, my dad, for some reason, I don't know if anybody else's parent did this, right? My dad, for some reason, reckoned that the next step was to take off one stabilizer. <laughs> did anyone else have this? So now I'm cycling with one stabilizer. So actually, all I'm doing now is I'm, you know, the first time I get on, I go, dum right? Because I've learned to rock. Now I just learned to lean. <laughs> so now I'm riding my bike leaning and then dad says, I think you're ready, son. I don't know dad. I think you're ready. He takes it off and obviously I just go, <laughs> and then you have to learn to ride it properly. But that was a big moment, learning, you know, to, to taking the stabilizers off. That was a marker. The day when you first go to school, the day when you leave home, the day when you get your first car, that's a great marker, which one of, someday, some of you might get to. Um, there's, there's a great moment when you get your first home. That's never going to happen in London. There, you know, there's, there's these markers in life. When you get your first pay packet, your first salary, is like, man, I've got some real money in the bank, that kind of stuff. But what are the markers for a Christian? How do you know if you're growing up as a Christian? How do you know whether you're still a baby Christian or whether you've grown at all? What are you supposed to judge it by? Because I think we can go for the wrong markers. And Peter's going to help us. See, some of us would think it's about how much I know. I know a lot now. I know, I know all this deep theology. I know kind of clever stuff. I've read some clever books. I can say clever things. I know how to pray out loud in public. I know how to say stuff. I know how to get people to go, mmm, in a prayer meeting. I know how to do that stuff. I must be growing up. <coughs> that might just be revealing my heart. <laughs> or perhaps it's how busy we are. And we think, well, look, I'm, I'm busy because I'm, I, I'm grown up now. I'm a busy Christian. I want, to show, I want to show you that Peter says, let me show you what a grown up Christian looks like. What it means to grow. This is, these are the markers. And he's going to give us three markers uh, in verses uh, 13 to 17. Just see them with me. First he talks about their minds. He says you grow up in your minds. Look at verse 13. Therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you. When Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. We grow as our minds are set on the grace that God gives to us. And particularly on the grace that will be revealed on the day when Jesus comes back. When Jesus returns, there will be grace for us. Now we know that our minds, according to verse 13, by nature, presumably, are not alert and are not fully sober. Our minds are foggy. Our minds are distracted by all sorts of other things. And Peter says, as you grow up, one of the things that will happen is your mind will get clearer on what really matters. We are distracted by all sorts of things 
All sorts of things that we think are so important, we think mean everything. They're the things that occupy our minds, they consume our thinking, they're what we daydream about when we're on kind of screensaver mode. And Peter says, one of the marks of growing up is that your mind becomes increasingly fixed on Jesus and on his return rather than on all the rubbish of this world, the stuff that so often occupies us. So your minds are set there. So here's one of the, that's one of the markers of growth. That we think increasingly the things of this world become increasingly less important to us and the things of eternity, the, the day when Jesus comes and his grace is given to us. That becomes more important. But earlier on in, in 1 Peter, he, um, Peter has been talking about an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. That's where our joy, our treasure is. Not here. So our minds are being changed about what really matters. Secondly, our desires are changing. So have a look at verse 14. As our minds are changing, so our desires are changing. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. As we grow up, our desires change. So when I first become a Christian... There are all sorts of evil desires that are still massively running around in my heart. And bit by bit, those desires will change. Not completely. But our desire, one of the marks of being a Christian, is that I desire to be holy more than I desire to be sinful. I want to be holy. I want to do what is pleasing to God. Now that idea of conforming, do not conform to the evil desires, it seems to imply that if I do nothing, then I will be squeezed by the desires, the natural evil desires to live for myself, to live for pleasure, to live without God. That will be my natural inclination. And therefore, to be changed, to grow in maturity, means my desires will increasingly become in line with God's desires. I will increasingly be conformed and shaped by what God longs for and God desires. I mean, verse 15 is just a staggering verse, isn't it? But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. There is the basic ethic of the Bible. God is holy, so be holy. Be holy, that means, you remember Phil said at the start that holy is this word that describes God in his majestic beauty and purity and goodness and righteousness and everything, right? And now Peter's saying, be that. And we go, that's completely unreasonable, I can't possibly do that, it's impossible. Well, yes, And yet, no, because we're to grow towards that. If you're a Christian, one day you will be perfectly holy. 
on the day when Jesus comes and his grace is revealed. And we grow towards it. We should be becoming more like Jesus. And our desires should be changing to be more like his desires. You know when you um, are cycling, uh, not cycling, you're driving or you're walking, and uh, you, cyclists get to traffic lights? It always makes me laugh. There's always one, isn't there, who wants to not put their foot down? And perhaps this is you. And if this is you, uh, chill out. Just put your foot down. It doesn't matter. It's a lot of stress. And you're going to have to put your foot down anyway. So you might... But you see that, you, you, you can feel the smugness as they cycle off, having not put their foot down. They're like, look, look at me. Now, here is the issue, right, with being a Christian. If we stop moving forward, if we do not have forward momentum, we will fall over. Because you need to be moving. There is growth in being a Christian. It isn't that you can just stand stationary and go, well, I'm just going to stop here. This is fine for me. That's not how it works. Because actually as Christians, we're to grow. We're to grow in to desiring what God desires. So I wonder this afternoon, even as we sit here, where are your desires out of line with God's desires? Where are the things that you want different to what God wants And will you grow towards that? Remember the prayer. This is not, oh, I must try harder, I must try harder. This is pray. The big application is tomorrow morning, will you get out of bed and will you say, Father, please make me grow. I want to desire what you desire. I want to love what you love. I want to hate what you hate. And for some of us, Even as I say that, you're saying, yeah, that is what I want. I know I stuff it up. I make a right hash of it most of the time, but I want it. That's my desire. So here is a marker of growth that our desires become increasingly for God and for his holiness. And my, the the third marker for um, growth is there in verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. As your mind is changed and your desires are changed, so the one you fear changes. Um, I don't know if it strikes you as strange that we're told to fear God, to live in reverent fear. I don't know if that seems puzzling to you. Actually, the Bible says quite a lot about that. We're to fear God. God is not some cute little fluffy thing in the sky who's just there and he's, you know, he's not not that big a deal. He's holy. And we are to fear him. A reverent fear. The alternative to fearing God, I want you to get this right, I want you to get this. The alternative to fearing God is that you will fear people. You will either fear God or you'll fear people. You will either live for the approval of God, saying, God, I want to please you, or you will live fearing what people think of you. It's very clear in the Bible. Those are the only two options. And the one that you fear is the one who controls you. 
If I fear people all the time, if I fear their opinions of me, if I fear what you think of this sermon, then I can't fear God. Because I can't tell you... Right, so supposing um, the Bible says something that I know you're going to find offensive. There's quite a few of those things. If I fear you, what am I going to tell you? I'm going to water it down, right? I'm not going to tell you the truth. Because I fear you. I want you to like me. I want Globe Church to get big in numbers. But Peter doesn't seem to say anything about numbers. He seems to say a lot about fearing God. If I fear God, only then can I speak truth to you. Only then can I actually truly love you. Do you see, this is so important. If you fear someone then you cannot truly love them because you want their approval too much. If I fear my wife, then because I, she has to love me, and if I, ah, then, I, then I can't truly love her sacrificially. And so are we growing in a fear of God? I, I, um, I remember seeing this once very clearly, seeing a little, a little boy, and it was a Thomas the Tank Engine day, and uh, at this Thomas the Tank Engine day, they had a fat controller. It was terrific. He was very fat. And um, they, this little boy met the fat controller. Fat controller, huge, big hat, little boy. Little boy was so excited to meet him. And when he finally met him, he just stood and went. It was just massive. And I thought, that's fear. It's that sense of, he's so big. And I'm so small. And here is Peter saying, as you stand before your maker, we say he is so big and I'm so small. And yet he loves me. And if constantly we live in fear of people because they're going to judge the way I live, he's going to judge and he's going to judge each person's work impartially. He's the one we should fear. So here are three markers of of growth. Um setting our minds on the hope that's to come, growing in our desire for holiness and growing in our fear of God. So tomorrow, will you wake up tomorrow morning? Heavenly Father, please make me grow. Please make me grow. I want to have my mind set on the future. I want to have my desires for what you desire and I want to fear you. Okay, what's the grounds of growth? How do we do this? Where does it start? This is why I think uh, verse 18 and the little word for at the start of verse 18. You see this? He says, do all this stuff. Why? Why should we do this? Because then God will love us. Because then God... Okay, so if you do this stuff, then God will redeem you. Is that what it says? Look, verse 18. You do this stuff. Why? Because... You know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Does it say, do this stuff and you will be redeemed? Is that what it says? No. It says, do this stuff because you have been redeemed. That's where it starts. This is not the stuff you do so that God will love you. This is the stuff you do because God loves you. 
Because he's redeemed you. And look what he's redeemed you with. Silver and gold, the most precious things that we could ever imagine. And yet they're nothing compared to the blood of Jesus. It cost him, in order to redeem you, to rescue you, it cost him the blood of his son Jesus. You see, verse 18 says you were redeemed from an empty way of life. Now that means that they were living in a system that had no power to make them grow. It was hollow. It didn't have any power to really help them make progress. They were living a religious system. They were living according to rules. They had all sorts of religious stuff around them. Traditions handed down from the ancestors. Here it is all coming down to us. We're living this stuff. We're living this stuff. But it doesn't have the power to really change and to make them grow. It's like the boiled egg thing. You know the boiled egg thing. When you eat a boiled egg. Egg in an egg cup thing. And then you finish the boiled egg and you turn it over. And then you give it to someone else. Yeah? Does anyone see that? Oh, you've never lived. It's the best thing ever. Right? Have a boiled egg. Eat it. Turn it over. And then say to someone, do you want an egg? Life doesn't get better than that. And, uh, and it's hollow, right? There's nothing there. You've, it looks good and it looks like the right thing but there's nothing there and here is this system it looked good there was kind of this system of religion they were doing lots of stuff but there was no egg there was no power in it because it couldn't change if all our religion says is come on try harder be more holy come on be more holy i'll get a stick be more holy come on that is a hollow egg there's nothing there And Peter says, that's what you were saved from. (laughs) That's not what we're into. You were saved from that empty way of life, that life that led to slavery, that life that could only ever bring death. Because my heart is too sinful. My heart is too bad. An empty, hollow egg is never going to be enough to save me. I'm going to need something way more than that. A few rules, a bit of religion, an internet program to stop me looking at pornography, a few rules that will help me to be a bit more generous and less greedy. That's never going to save me. It might make me a little bit better, but it won't redeem me. It's an empty egg. But here is something. Look at it. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. Here is a sacrifice. A lamb. And the lamb died instead of me. He is my substitute. And his blood that flows is the blood that washes me clean. That sets me free. That's where the power is. The change. He redeems us. From an empty way of life. This was God's great plan from before the creation of the world. And we put our hope in him. So if you sit there listening to the markers of growth going, Oh man, I could never, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. Absolutely, you're right, you can't. But that's why Christ came. He redeems us from the empty way of life of trying, 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 trying to live a life that's pleasing to God. He redeems us from an empty way of life and he begins to make us grow. 
gives us the power. He changes us. That's the ground. So this afternoon, if we're going to be a church that's serious about growth, we're going to be a church that's serious about the blood of Jesus. We're going to be a church that's serious about the cross. We're going to talk about the death of Jesus. That is why you will never, I guarantee you will never come to Globe Church and not hear the message that Jesus died for you. You will never come to Globe Church and not hear that. Because that is how we grow. Without the blood of Christ, you cannot grow. Without the cross of Jesus, you have no hope. So that's the grounds. That's where it starts. We must be redeemed. And if you've never trusted Jesus, you need to be redeemed from the empty way of life which cannot make you grow. And you need to be saved. But let's look at the final thing in our last few minutes. What is the means of growth? How does, this, how does it actually work? What is it that causes us to grow? Have a look from verse 22. Then there's lots of stuff we haven't got time to touch on here. But now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again. Right, here it goes. How did their life first come? Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. The Word of God. This Word of God is how new life begins, how growth begins. This is not just the words of men. Men and people just die, okay? They're like grass. They glory for a little bit, but then they, they fiddle away. But the word of God, this is verse 25, stands firm forever. This is the word that was preached to him. How do people grow? People grow when God's word is preached. That is what Peter is saying. People grow when God's word is preached. How do you decide if a sermon has been good? Because my guess is that most of you have, have an opinion after church of whether the sermon was any good. I normally do. <laughs> or you go to visit another church and someone says, was the sermon any good? How do you decide? What criteria do you use? I think for some of us, the question, we hear that question as, Did, was I entertained? Did I enjoy it? here <laughs> for some of us it's was it short that's the definition of a good sermon it was short I, I used to be at a church where there was an old lady who every week she loved the church website because she could see exactly how long the sermons had been and she could measure there were three of us who preached and she used to say well I like David because he's the shortest <laughs> it's a fair point is it short that's some people. For some people, it's, was it scholarly? Was it deep? Did it stretch me? Did I come out with my mind stretched? Did I come out going, oh, I understood something really deep? Was that a good sermon? A good sermon, according to Peter, is dead simple. A good sermon makes people grow. If you grow, it was a good sermon. If you don't, it wasn't. That's what preaching is about. Preaching is about making people grow. Preaching God's word is so that people will grow. So we're serious about preaching this church. We want this church to be serious about preaching, but not because we think preaching is great, but because we think growing is great. And preaching is the way that people grow. 
And so I will preach as clearly and as helpfully as I can because I long that you will grow. I, I long to grow. That's why we're serious about preaching. And Peter says, if that's true, then look what our response should be. We're back at verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Newborn babies know that they need milk. They don't know much, a newborn baby. In fact, they don't know anything as far as I can work out. But they do know this. I need some milk. I've just got this sense. I need milk. Because that's going to make me grow. And when the baby needs milk, they make a big fuss about it. I need milk. They don't say that. But you work it out from that. And that should be our approach. That should be your attitude as you come to church. There should be a lot of kind of screaming and kind of stuff. Until someone opens the Bible and we'll go... That's, sorry, is that an unhealthful image? Sorry, apologies. It it worked better in my head. Um, But we're to grow, right? And if the thing that makes us grow, if the means that God's given us to grow is his pure spiritual word, then we should crave it. We should have a hunger for it. We should desire it. How am I going to set my mind on the future? How am I going to, my desire is going to get in line with holiness? How am I going to fear God as I drink this milk? God's word is this pure spiritual milk and we should crave it so that we will grow. So because we want to be a church that's serious about growing, we're a church that's serious about preaching. Preaching isn't everything. We love to sing. We love to pray. We love to do that stuff. But we love preaching. Because it's God's word that is preached that makes us great. And so this week, as you, um, as you go through the week, pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, please make me great. Even as a result of this sermon. You know, I, I realize you may have sat there for the last however long it's been. Uh, I'm sure David would have been shorter. Um, Even as a result at the end of this sermon, to pray, Heavenly Father, please make me grow. I don't really have a clue about much of what John was saying, but I I, I do want to grow. And perhaps there's one thing that you can pick up on you say, this is an area, Father, where I really want to grow. Would you help me? Jesus has redeemed me from an empty way of life. I don't want to do that, kind of empty rules and rituals. I don't want that. He's redeemed me. Precious blood of Christ. That's amazing. You've given me your precious, pure, spiritual word. Please, Father, make me great. That's how we respond. And then we read it. We learn it. We love it. We preach it. We obey it. We love this word because it's the word that God has given us to cause us to grow. So we want to be a church that's growing up. And we're going to pray. And we're going to ask that he might cause us to grow. Let's uh, pray together.